0: This podcast is brought to you by Estee Lauder Company's UK and Ireland's Breast Cancer Campaign. The campaign helped to make the opening of Future Dreams House possible and continues to raise millions to help end breast cancer. The house offers practical and emotional support to those diagnosed with the disease.
1: Hello, I'm Victoria Derbyshire. I was 46 years old and getting on with my happy life. I didn't feel as though I had a care in the world. And then came breast cancer. This is the second series of the podcast brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity. And it's for those of you who've experienced a moment like that. It's for all the challenges and hurdles you'll try to overcome, and for everyone in your life that's affected by your diagnosis too. Your family, your friends, your work colleagues, the people who care for you, who hold you close, the people you lean on now you might be able to tell from the sound that i'm not in our usual factory studio for this special episode i've traveled a few stops further north on the london underground and i'm at the future dreams house which is a superb welcoming and warm facility which acts as essentially a breast cancer support center it's spread over four floors It's been paid for by individual donations, fundraising events, and a very generous contribution from Estee Lauder. It's a place where you can get nutritional advice, life coaching, exercise classes, essentially physical and emotional support. It's also a place where you can meet people, form friendships, and just talk, which is what we're going to do now. We've always said on this podcast that everyone's story is unique. There may be similarities and common ground, but what's right for you isn't necessarily right for me and vice versa. And that includes who you share your experience with, if anyone. After a cancer diagnosis, do you decide to tell the world or barely anybody? And what are the reasons for your choice? As always, we have a tremendous group of women to talk about this with. Let me introduce them to you. Elizabeth Hurley, global ambassador for the Estee Lauder Company's breast cancer campaign. Hello. Hey, hi. Welcome. Elizabeth's friend, Louise Fennell, screenwriter and novelist, who was diagnosed with breast cancer 20 years ago. Louise, hello to you. Hello. Sean Williams, broadcaster, writer, counsellor, studying for a doctorate, diagnosed with breast cancer in 2014, a week after her 50th birthday. Hi, Sean. Hi. And we have Leanne Adu, who's a businesswoman. She runs a virtual PA service for entrepreneurs and to small to medium businesses and has just got to the end of radiotherapy. Is that right, Leanne?
2: Yes. Hi.
1: You are very welcome, Leanne, as well. Elizabeth, we're going to start with you because your late grandma didn't tell anyone about the lump that she had found in her breast for some time. Because she was frightened, wasn't she?
3: Yeah, she was. And it was really through going through this or actually not really going through it with my grandmother. That's really why when Evelyn Lauder told me about her breast cancer campaign that she'd started when I first joined their company, the Esther Lauder Company, that's what really made me want to really have this mission as part of my life. Because my grandmother in those days, and we now almost refer to them as the dark ages of breast cancer, because this was a time before the pink ribbon, before Breast Cancer Awareness Month, before we would never have been sitting around here talking about breast cancer out loud, because nobody did. It was whispered about. Um, it, it, it felt, it was almost contagious. It was unlucky to say it out loud. So my grandmother found a lump, apparently, which we finally found out, didn't tell anybody for a good year, because she was scared, didn't know what it was, was embarrassed. And when she finally told someone, of course, it was, um, you know, very progressed. But even then, knowing what I know now, how I see women who'll get support from people, who'll understand the treatments they're having, who'll have so much information at their fingertips, who can speak to other women, hear of their experiences, hear how they've spoken to their children, their partners, perhaps their work colleagues. My grandmother had absolutely nothing and we didn't speak about it. And I don't know what treatment she had. I don't know what type of breast cancer she had. I'd be surprised if she knew much about that. Mm. And it just—it's just it's just so sad that for people at that time, they had nothing compared to what people are getting now. And of course, you know, women are still dying of breast cancer, like they did back then. But so many, the survival rates are so much higher than they were back then. And I just feel, even though, of course, the experience is still appalling for everybody, there is just more help and support. And I'm sure that must
1: make it a little easier to bear. Do we think it's a generational thing? Let me open this up to everybody. Is it that it was back then. How many years ago was it, Elizabeth? Uh, well, I guess it would have been 30. Right. Nearly, coming on 30, so, 29, 30. So is it to do with the period of time? Is it to do with that generation of woman? What Do we think this could happen now, that somebody wouldn't say anything? What do you think?
4: I think it would happen now, actually. I think, it, in fact, my mother, which she's probably a similar generation, possibly a bit older, but she, she didn't mention it to anybody when she found a lump. How long ago was that? Um five years ago really yeah so and i and i'd had it too and my brother had unfortunately sort of died um a few months before she mentioned it and i think probably in the trauma of his dying of cancer she hadn't um she just hadn't hadn't noticed or if she had noticed she just didn't say you know she didn't want it to be about her probably i mean Mm. and she didn't really want to talk about it she didn't know want to know what the treatment was I think it's. I think it's a kind of a common thing. I think we're all. Our mortality is is a tricky subject, and and um, and people often think I'd rather not know. I mean, mm. weirdly, mm.
1: still you're agreeing, Sean.
4: Yeah. Well, just to,
0: uh, so I've been counselling um, people with all types of cancer for the past couple of years, and although there's much more openness than there was since your granny was around, Lisbeth, it's it's still quite hard for some people to say it out loud, I think. And, you know, that thing you said, Louise, about um, not really wanting to bother anyone or, or, or not wanting to visit it on other people or just wanting to keep it private, I think that's the case still for some women. And women who are perhaps mothers who are worried about the impact on their children, worried about the impact on their partner, worried about how it will be perceived, the expectation societally that you'll be able to deal with it and manage it because it is talked about, well, I should be able to cope. And perhaps for some, there is a sense of, well, I'll just work on it on my own because I know I can do that. Mm. And I don't want other people worrying about me. You know, I don't want, to, I don't want to, to, them to be thinking, is she coping? Is she all right? You know, how is she now? And it's tiring, It's also very tiring telling your story again and again and again Mm. and seeing the faces of concern.
1: Leanne, you're smiling at that. You're nodding in agreement. Why?
2: I think that because I am someone who's quite
1: open and
2: when I found out I had breast cancer, there were people around me who knew straight away. So my mum, my husband, my closest friends. But because I'm active, I talk to people a lot, I've got various different communities... I had to have a conversation with myself about whether or not I was ready for them to know. But if I was to completely disappear from my life, which I would have had to do if I was going to keep it a secret, then it's a whole other conversation. Where's Leanne? What's Mm. she doing? Why haven't we seen her? Um, I'm I'm visible to the people who are in my life. So I was worried about the looks, the looks of pity. um, the feeling that people were just feeling so sorry for me because the first thing that I thought about when someone said cancer was death. Am I going to die? Um, And we know that survival rates are so much higher now, but for me, am I going to die? Is this what's going to happen now? And do I have to see people watch me die? Are are we going to watch that play out? And so, although there were people that I told straight away, I did worry about telling my wider circles. And I, I kind of let myself be led by um, the people that I did tell and their reactions, and when then you, I went from when there. When you say wider
1: circles, Leanne, <clears> who <throat> do you mean? What do you mean?
2: So um, I run, I have some running groups. Right. I have a, a running community. I have my PA community. <laughs> I have so many different areas, so many, not fingers in pies, but I have so mm. many different areas and things that I do, my volunteering, that it's a lot of people and sometimes you just want to keep it close. And at first I was like, I just want to keep this close. I'm not going to put anything on social media. I'm not going to tell anybody. One of my running friends, as soon as I told her, decided right away she was going to do a run for me on Christmas Day. So I found out at the beginning of December that I had breast cancer. She decided on Christmas Day she was going to run a half marathon for me. And she was going to fundraise. Um, because of that, and because knowing that... In her story of why she was doing this run, she didn't mention my name. I knew that she wouldn't get as much support for what she was doing. And the way for her to get support was for me to step up and say, hey, I'm the person that she's running for. And so I did a social media post where it actually probably looked like I was saying that she had breast cancer, which was a bit cheeky. Um, You know, I was like, this is my friend. She's doing this amazing thing. And then a couple of paragraphs down, because I have breast cancer. Right. And... it was the easiest way for me to break this news to the people that knew me, um, to be able to get her the support without being really, really explicit. Hey, I'm here, I've got breast cancer. So I wanted to kind of remove some of the focus so I could ease myself into, and
1: now it's this is what's happening to me. Understood. Elizabeth, how did you find out about what your grandma was going through? Golly, I can't even
3: remember. I think I think from what I can remember she'd been feeling under the weather for a long time, she'd lost her sparkle as it happened, she'd found a lump during that time, which we didn't know about. um then i i I think somebody whispered to me, I can't even remember. We never sat down and spoke about it mm. as a family. We never said, "What can we do for grandma to this? Can someone go to appointments with her? I mean, really nothing yeah it's 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 extraordinary. I know that would not be the case today if someone in my family was diagnosed today, we'd all be there. Yeah. We'd be making rotors who would go with her, who would do what for her. I know we would. And um, we'd go with her to the doctor because I know when people are told things by doctors, sometimes they can't listen mm-hmm. because they're in a panic. Of course they are. And you can't remember anything they said. We would never have let somebody go by themselves to any of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I I really feel that through campaigns like um, ours and other people, I, I do think that some of the stigma has been taken away from being able to say, even if it's to a close, small circle of friends rather than a larger circle of friends. And, of course, that doesn't even take into account if somebody's in the public eye, because, obviously, the the the, the nation heard about you and your diagnosis. And that must, again, be another degree of extraordinary pressure, in a way, mm. I would
1: have thought. Actually, it wasn't. I've, I... I felt like I was taking control of what I was going through. I was at work working with the BBC and um, the press office told me, oh, such and such a newspaper uh, say that they've heard that you're really ill and I felt a little bit indignant because I I didn't feel really ill. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to put it on Twitter and and just get it out there, Uh, which I did. And I felt I was in control of it. So that was a good thing for me.
0: Sean, what about you? Um, I didn't. And I think I was a bit worried. Go, I'm getting about, my voice is changing, huh? Eh? Because oh. I'm thinking back to it and thinking what I didn't want was any headlines saying, brave ex-breakfast star battles cancer. And I guess the fear of that, and also because my brain was all over the place mm. and, and I just wanted to process it for me and for, the, and, and, and for my family. I've got five kids and my mum had died of cancer. So there was that memory in our family as well that I kind of wanted to help manage. And I think I just put up the drawbridge and thought, I'm going to sit with this for a while. And, and I think also because um, I, was stu- I was already studying psychology. So I'd done a, uh, an MSc in psychology and knew what happens to the brain in trauma and thought, I'm just gonna research my way out of this. I, I don't feel right about this and I don't know what's happening to me and I don't know why I'm not managing it in the way I'd like to but I'm, I'm going to research my way out of it. So I did that and spoke to lots of people with different kind of traumas and, and wrote about it a lot, wrote a diary, mm. just got it all out onto the page, shouted and shouted and shouted onto the page, all those, those sort of complex emotions, you know, to rage and frustration and sadness mm. and bewilderment and all that sort of stuff. And then eventually I I sort of, I did a book. and And by that time, you know, the control you're talking about, I don't think there's any one way is there. I mean, no. it goes back to what you were saying uh, at the beginning, Elizabeth. There's no, there's no one way to tell your story. Mm. Um, for me at that time, that felt right, that, that when I felt I was able to say it, I was able to say, here I am, and this is what I've learned. And what I didn't expect was a sort of outpouring of support. And and I thought there would be criticism, I guess, at the beginning, so I didn't want to say anything. And then when I felt the support, I thought, oh, it's okay. Can I ask a question? Was it more comfortable to 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 tell your story
3: once you could say and I survived? And more frightening when actually you don't know the outcome?
0: I think that's a really good point because I think uncertainty is hard to sit with.
3: When people are sharing your and uncertainty.
0: And yeah. hard to tell other people. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a really good point,
4: point. and they're hard to read when you give them the information because yeah, you don't yeah. know. Particularly with children, you don't know how they're how they're taking it. No, cause I- everyone tries to be brave.
0: Exactly, and kids want certainty and they mm. want
4: control. And of course, I
0: guess what those of us with a cancer experience know is, you know, really you don't have control over everything. Mm,
1: no way. There is
0: there is still going to be quite a degree of of uncertainty. You know the, and and I think. It's communicating that and, and being alongside your kids, helping them to understand that, which can help them, I guess, sit with it, but it's, it's hard. So yeah,
4: perhaps I was looking for a degree of control. Yeah. Louise, how did you tell your girls? Well, it was it was quite difficult. It was it was um, I, I was I went from kind of going to the doctor with a lump to four and a half hours later, or even three and a half hours later, knowing that I was going to have a double mastectomy. Had aggressive stage three cancer. Um, the doctor had a conversation with my husband, who joined me at the hospital, saying things are not looking great. Um, it was. As I said, a few days before Christmas, I had um, a book club that night of 10 really close friends coming to dinner. And by this time, I suppose it was um, seven in the evening or something. So I thought, what am I going to do? I'm going to go home and have a book club and say, oh, by the way, I've got. Breast cancer, and it's not at all great. And um, so I thought, well, I I definitely can't do that. And I was panicking. I thought, what do I do? I can't. I can't ring up and say, don't come. I've breast. I didn't know what to do. So I rang my closest friend in the book club and said, Can you tell everyone I've fallen off a ladder and cracked a rib and I'm in hospital? I couldn't think what to do. It was awful to no lie. Would, but no one would have believed that, would they? <laughs> no, she didn't believe it for a <laughs> minute. <laughs> she knew I was good at shimming up love and Christmas like, <laughs> decorations. In fact it really hurt me to have to say that. Um but I did say that and she did go, Okay, got it and then told everybody that it was cancelled and mm. um and then I did have to tell my girls and in that moment you you, you know haven't even there was just no time to even breathe, to think, What? How, how can I tell them? And my best friend, who was also the mother of one of my daughter's closest friends, had died six months previously of a different kind of cancer. But nonetheless, we had, of, of course, all been saying, it's going to be fine, everything's going to be good, It'll, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was no way I could say, everything's going to be all right, because... Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I did say that, but mm. I, but I didn't know it for sure because, as you say, you don't you don't know, and you know you're just giving them that uncertainty. And how old were your girls? Twelve and fifteen. Right. Um, and uh, so, I didn't. I I don't know what I would have done differently, but I would have done it differently. I certainly wouldn't have talked about falling off ladders and breaking ribs. I would have been <laughs> straight straight away. But mm. being straight straight away was so brutal. I just. Yeah. I barely yeah. even got it myself, so um, so I didn't tell them till the following day, um, and then obviously I told my mum and dad and um, played that down uh, a lot. And um, and so I didn't tell my friends. Why did you play it down? Um, oh, you do. You just do to protect everybody. Well, yeah. also you're kind of playing it down for yourself. Let's be honest, because a part of me, although although all these things seemed so um, brutal. I think a part of me, maybe just the optimistic me, just said, well, they're wrong. Right. You're fine. Yeah. You'll be fine.
1: But and that playing it down is interesting. What about you, Leanne? Because you're trying to... Maybe you're trying to protect other people yeah. and their feelings and you, you, you're really low-key about it. But in the end, you do have to say the word cancer, don't you? Yeah.
2: So for me, I, I really tried to make it as light as possible. It's just a little bit of cancer. You know, I have, I, have, I was stage three, grade three, triple negative breast cancer. Oh it's not goodness. just a little bit yeah. of, of cancer. But I clung to the words that the doctor told me with, that we'd found it early, that it was small. It wasn't that small. <laughs> um, that it was treatable. And so those were the things that I would tell my mum, my sister, my husband. It's small, it's treatable. I didn't say the words aggressive. I, didn't, I, I don't think I said it was triple negative because I wanted what to make What is the
1: significance it. of triple negative, just, just for those mm. who are listening who want to learn more?
2: So breast cancer is either hormone receptive, as in the hormones in your body have changed and that's, that's caused the cancer cells to grow, or it's triple negative where there are no positive hormone receptors Um, which means actually it's just appeared. It might be genetic. I think triple negative breast cancers are normally much more genetic and you might have the BRCA gene. Um, For me, I don't have that gene. It's not genetic. My cancer just, my body just decided, and here you go, have that. Mm. Um, So it's harder to treat because they can't use hormone therapies to treat it, which are very, very successful with breast cancer. Chemotherapy is a great tool um, to getting rid of it. Radiotherapy and surgery. Uh, but once you've done those three things, if the cancer's gone, great. If it's not, there's not really a lot more that they can do for it because they've thrown the the things that work at it. So it's it's a difficult one. It's a very, very tricky one. It's very invasive and aggressive. Um
1: and but obviously you, you never used that word aggressive no you didn't go into that kind of detail No, and I you wouldn't. were playing it down
2: yeah and I was ve- I remember my voice being so high all the time just a little bit of breast cancer <laughs> nothing to worry about I definitely said nothing to worry about more times than I I, I would care to normally and
1: your daughter was mm. how old
2: she was just about to turn three okay oh, so
1: what are the considerations there then
2: how do i tell a toddler mm-hmm. who doesn't understand what's going on what's going on um i said we're not going to say the word cancer in front of her because she would repeat it that's what toddlers do they mm-hmm. repeat things um <clears throat> In the end, I think, because she would ask, you know, where's mummy going? Where's mummy going? Mummy's got to go to the doctors. When I started having procedures, biopsies, I had a pick line in, you know, just explaining that I had to have some medicine, this was going to make me better. Every Wednesday when I went for chemo, she'd be like, oh, is mummy going to hospital today? Mummy's going to see the doctor. That's right, mummy's going to see the doctor. There are books and resources, but she was so small that like, I didn't think she'd understand no. them. Um, so every day was like, well, how much do we say in front of her? How much is she understanding about this? Is she, gonna re- is she going to resent me as she gets older? Because I couldn't play with her as much. And, mm. um, you know, I had to find new ways to play with her because I spent a lot of time on the sofa, a lot of time horizontal. So learning to read more, sing more, talk more, mm. arts and crafts, as opposed to jumping up and down and dancing yeah. and running around. Um, but just really wondering how much she was taking in. What was she feeling neglected by the fact that I wasn't doing the things that we were able to do before?
1: Does anyone know women who haven't told their kids at all, whatever age the kids are? I have and
0: clients really? who haven't told their children. Really? Mm-hmm.
1: And what's their what's their thought process? Children active in the house. I mean, yeah,
0: yeah. Just I think a little bit of what you're saying, really. The protection that we're all talking about, mm. the going into mum role, the you don't want them to be sad. You don't want them to be worrying for you or about you. And have their
3: kids, they haven't felt that their kids have picked up
0: well, anything they're young. going on? The kids were young, so um, so they didn't feel that that it was right at that time to tell them. And I think also they wanted to process it for themselves so that they felt in a comfortable position to be able to manage it in a way that felt felt right. But mm. you know, I'm, I'm hearing Leanne saying, "Will she resent me later that I wasn't able to play with her?" And I think there's that as well, isn't there? That's yeah. that sort of the critical voice in your head that that says, "You know, what am I doing to them yeah. by telling?" I'm going to wreck the Yeah, yeah. And, and and you know, you know, you tell yourself, "Well, that's." that's clearly bonkers, Mm -hmm. you know, but but I need to involve them in some way. And yet there it is, there it is. You know, who am I as a mum if I'm visiting pain on them, if I'm visiting uncertainty and suffering on them, where they're seeing my vulnerability, they're seeing my sadness, they're seeing my uncertainty. And in in the end, it will make them much more resilient children because they know that emotion is nothing to be frightened of. And that sometimes you will have to sit with difficulty, but if you sit with it together, then you're gonna be in a stronger place. Is that a fact
1: that they will be more resilient? Because if, 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 if so, that feels really comforting. Does it? Yeah, because I, I I don't know what the long-term effects on my boys were eight and 11. They seem all right. They're now 17 and 14. They seem absolutely fine and normal and happy and yeah. doing all the normal things that teenage boys do. I've no idea long-term what, what effects it will have on them. I, I think it's going to be okay. I don't know. Probably
4: depends on the personalities of the children, doesn't it? A little it? bit. I think so. I mean, so. anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I think you. I certainly felt guilt about giving them that anxiety. Do, do you think they were... Yes I think I'm extremely anxious, and of course, children like everybody doesn't want to show anybody that they love that they're worried about them, and yeah. so they have to bear, you know and to bear that when you're very young is mm. really tough.
0: I wonder whether so I've got older children who were in their twenties when I told them, and younger children same age as yours, victoria, which mm. were eight they were eight and eleven, and the eight and eleven year old were all um they were very inquisitive about it. I came out of hospital with four drain bottles. And because mm. I hadn't told anyone, we'd move, decided to make a move down to Kent from London at the same time. And nobody <laughs> knew. I was wearing a long coat and I'd put all these clanking drain bottles inside my coat. And my son uh, went up to somebody and said, have you seen mum's bottles
4: Oh <laughs> well, have you seen mum's
0: <laughs> bottles? They've got beetroot juice in them oh, because, of course, the, the fluid yeah, is... Yeah, 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 horrible. But yeah. but they had that mindset, that kind mm. of, ooh. Wow. Yeah. Wow, look at this, and then and then look at that. And actually, mm. I still, I had a procedure a couple of weeks ago, and I still, I walk around and let them see yeah. that actually this is what a woman looks like. Who's got, had breast cancer. Who's had breast cancer, yeah. you know? And... Um, but my older children... One's a doctor, and he was trying to micromanage the whole process. Oh, he wow. instantly went to, she's going to die. So oh. he was going around the hospital asking, have you, have you popped in and seen Charm Williams? She's on this floor. Oh. Um, when did you last check her blood pressure? You know, did da 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 So there's a different process, I think, with different ages.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
3: just can't imagine what it must be like for the, for the kids and for you talking to the kids. I mean, it's just su- such bravery. However people choose to deal with it, I'm just in awe of how women manage to cope mm. with all that added pressure of trying to protect your
2: kids at the same time. The world doesn't stop though, does it? No. It, it has to continue on and they still have to get up and go to school and want to play and you just find the best way to make sure their lives continue on as it should. Mm. Yeah.
0: Because you're still their mum. Yeah. You've still got to do all the stuff that you've got to do. There's, st- <laughs> there's still no milk mm-hmm. in the fridge or, you know, somebody needs picking up at a time and you've got to get there. Louise, your
1: girls now... You had cancer 20 years ago. Would you say there's any impact long-term?
4: Um, I think because we've had so much cancer in the family, it's been sort of kind of fairly relentless, right. my husband, then my brother, then my mother. Um, I would say it's a it definitely a stressful subject for, for yeah. them um, and we don't talk about it very much um, because, I don't know, Maybe we should, but I don't know. It just, there seems to have been enough of it yes. around for us not to really want to or do you, need to.
3: Do you think your girls are vigilant with self-checking? Yes, very much so. And do you think that was, in, because of your experiences, do you think yes, that's really made absolutely. them? Absolutely. I think they were yeah. very
4: aware that there is no such thing as too young, Yeah, I would say. Yeah, they they are checking absolutely all the time and that's probably true I would imagine of every girl in a in a household of a, you know who's had yes. a mother or a grandmother with with cancer I would hope anyway well, you're think, shaking your head in disagreement yeah, there Leon I I wasn't actively checking
2: when I found my lump I did find by lump because I knew what my body felt like and I knew it was new but I didn't check monthly but do and you my tell grandmother you- had breast, breast cancer and I didn't I didn't check monthly
3: but I didn't do you tell your girlfriends now to check Yeah Absolutely.
2: Them. Not bully them because you don't want to inspire fear. I don't want to want people to feel like they need to check every single week or every single day. That's not healthy. We can't live our entire lives thinking, am I going to get breast cancer? That's but yeah. we do need to be body aware all the time. Mm-hmm. We do need to understand, right, What what does my pain feel like? What does my discomfort feel like? how did my breast feel around my cycle and just understanding also not just is it a lump but have there, have there been other changes is there discharge is there pain is there dimpling you know um and so
1: i encourage them once a month i encourage them right
2: Victoria, are you ready let's
1: go did let's you them. find your own lump it wasn't actually a lump it was um it was really obvious but it wasn't a lump. One side had dropped a little bit lower than the other side and the nipple had become inverted.
3: And you so noticed these, or your doctor?
1: I did, uh, getting ready for bed one night. And uh, I thought, I looked in the mirror and thought, oh, that doesn't look right. Wasn't worried at all. Just thought, oh, I'll sort that tomorrow in the way that women do, <laughs> yeah. oh, I'll work that out tomorrow. <laughs> um and it was I got up early for work the next morning sort of four-ish I was in the kitchen I just googled inverted nipple and various things came yeah. up including breast cancer and I just knew it had to be breast cancer you know even before going to the GP and did, having yeah. the biopsy and all. Just you just knew just
0: having so that's yeah. three
3: out of four could I ask how did you discover your cancer
0: um I had a lump
3: which you it was found tiny
0: yes so all for
3: all of you yeah, but, it wasn't, it but that
0: wasn't. The, I just I went to the doctor and they said lumpy breasts. Did <laughs> yeah. <they're charming. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and um, I've been told that. <laughs> and then uh, and then I went back and actually it wasn't that lump. That that was just that was benign. But so did you something... have to persist in that case? Were you fobbed off? Do you know? I didn't feel like it was being persistent. I just sort of got on with stuff. And actually, it was a year later that uh, I went for a a mastectomy um mammogram mastectomy i went for a mammogram and there was something there and they said we need to but see if not we can the biopsy it but not a lump was just a benign lump which was just a benign lump so a mis- yeah okay so a yeah, mammogram found you yeah. but i think sometimes there is a case of oh i don't want to don't want to bother anyone with this lump yeah. i don't want to bother yeah, anyone yeah.
4: and you don't want to bother yourself with it no, <laughs> no you know <laughs> you're, really. no, you're quite going to be a bother
1: isn't time. Yeah. And there are, time to have breast cancer
3: it's also interesting, Dr. Zoe, who um, has been really helpful with our campaign, and last year we did an enormous uh, self, a virtual self-checking yeah. event, mm-hmm. and we're doing one again this month on the 20th of October, um, and actually trying to get a world record now for having the biggest self-check. And she was really interested. Camera's off, apart from on Dr. Zoe, <laughs> um, but they're encouraging everyone to do it, and she said something very interesting last year. I don't know. She said, "Do it always do it in front of the mirror. Mm-hmm. So you're actually, you're seeing what you're doing. And I suppose then you would get your eye in yes. like you do, who didn't feel anything but saw it. Mm-hmm. And what was actually b- both great and frightening for, for just for me personally last year, that we did, we did that event. And I spoke about it on my Instagram and mm-hmm. said everybody's self-check. And two girlfriends of mine, both in their late 30s, had watched that just as, you know, during lockdown and checked their own breasts. And two of them found a lump and they would not have checked their breasts had they not happened to see my Instagram feed about the Estee Lauder event. And they were both diagnosed with cancer. Wow. And yeah, they were. They both survived today. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was only last October. Yeah. Um, But yes, and that was... So alarming that the chance that they mm. saw my Instagram yeah. post mm. and that night went, oh, you're right, I haven't checked my... And, and they're under 40 where well, you haven't even had your first mammogram yet. Yeah. But, th- I mean, thank goodness they saw that, which is, you know, why... Right from the beginning, I think one of our biggest messages has always been self-check. Yeah. Self-check, self-check, run to the doctor if you're scared. Totally. Um, And nothing's changed. It's the same messaging today because you're right. We can't go to the doctor every month. for No, no, no. We have to learn to do it ourselves. Dr. Zoe's demonstration is a very good one.
2: Is it a generational thing mm. because we are now in a, a position where by speaking up, we can encourage so many others, and that is one of the reasons why I then did start to embrace talking about having cancer because if if that means that one or two people sees my yeah, and my checks feed or, and checks their
1: breasts, then great job done and it, it's it 's true it 's little by little, yeah. Can I ask you when you did tell people whether it was just close family? Partners, kids, or or the wider public. What kind of reactions you had from people, and and whether you had any negativity. I was really worried about
2: telling my sister because she um, is she can be quite emotional, and what I didn't want was to send her on a spiral. Mm. So, and I was like, if I tell her, she, there's going to be tears. I can't handle that. She's going to really pity me. It was two days before Tiana's birthday. Is that going to ruin my kid's birthday? All those kind of things. And so I had a really a long conversation with my mum. Do I tell her now or do I tell her later? Mm. And mum was like, well, tell her after.
1: <laughs> after the party. After the party. party after
2: the cake. <laughs> um, in the end, I did tell her before. And she was the one person that I was really, really worried about telling. Um, and she, when she saw I was okay... Because oh, I certainly nearly all over with breast cancer, mm-hmm. then she was okay. I think if I was broken, yeah. then the response would have been much, much more um, for want of a better word, dramatic from her. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I, I really had to think about who am I telling and how am I telling them? What words am I using? Because I just want the best response. I don't want to deal with I don't want to deal with someone else's tears. Yeah. I
3: I wondered if there was any advice that um you could give to people who are then told someone close to them has been diagnosed with breast cancer the response okay so you don't want people to howl (laughs) don't tell me
1: yeah (laughs) Um, i mean funny enough what is
3: yeah i'd like to know because you know we're all in that position sometimes and you don't
1: you want to make people feel better yeah you do and and, and people coming from a really good place often inadvertently say some Yes. And what are those things? things? What are those things? Right. I'll tell you the good <laughs> oh. stuff. We'll t- tell you the good stuff in a minute. Let's just give you <laughs> some examples stuff. of the not so good stuff. You might say to someone, Yeah, so I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And, 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 and it will just come out of their mouth and say, Oh my God, my auntie died of that. And
0: you're like, Oh,
4: shit. <laughs> yeah. thank you. Uh, yeah, I got um, number one, do not say
0: that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, got, right. I got, I'm going to have a double mastectomy. And somebody very close to me said, Everybody's having those this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Everyone's having them. Angelina Jolie, she's gonna have one. Such a you know one. Like it was a fashion statement. Yes, exactly. I mean, bless their heart. I think it's really hard mm. for people to know how to react. And then yes. I also think there's a there's a right, I've got to solve it. I've got to solve it. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say, maybe this is, this is a gender thing as well. You know, how can I make it better? How can yeah, I make it better? how can I fix this? How can I fix it? Um, and sometimes you just want somebody to listen. Mm. Just don't say anything, just listen. Um, but yeah, it, reactions are very strange and friends can, can, can react very differently as well. The, mm. the friend that really worked for me, a couple of friends that really, and it really helped was just sending a text when I told them, saying, I'm here, anytime you want to talk, no need to respond. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, that yeah. took the pressure yes. off me. It's like, just to let you, I'm a little wave over here, yeah. get in touch if you me- need me, but I'm not going to hassle you. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the best support. Somebody else took me, somebody else bought me a pair of woolen boobs because I was losing mine, mm-hmm. because that's our sense of humour. Yeah, and yeah. that was just a gorgeous,
4: funny thing to do. Yes, What's black humour? I think is always good. Um, well, I, funnily enough, the f- the first thing I would say is that people people in the sort of position when that you're first being diagnosed, the, the very first person who did a, a mammogram on me after the doctor had seen the lump, um, she said, "Oh, there actually there are two lumps." She said, and the next thing she said was, "Have you got children? How old are they?" Oh my god! Oh, what? We're, oops! It wow. is. That was so. That wasn't a and brilliant phew. thing for a health what did, professional to say. What did that say to you? When they said that. Good night. Yeah, okay. it's over. But then um, somebody else did something which I thought was hilarious at a party, I don't know, maybe a few months later on when I'd been reconstructed and things. And he said, the most lovely guy. And he came up to me and he said, i not get a nice boob job, he said. And I, said, <laughs> and I literally just said, cancer. <laughs> and he... Honestly, oh. he looked like I'd shot him. <laughs>
3: <laughs> really fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, God.
1: So what are the things that people should say then? Because I think this is a, an area that people really do struggle with. You're right to raise this, Elizabeth. So let's give some advice on this podcast. What are some really good things?
2: Exactly what Sian said. Mm. No need to respond. Please don't put pressure on someone to feel like they have to make you feel better mm. for their cancer just it's yeah it's hard enough already without kind of going okay i'm okay but are you okay Mm. what do you need
1: yeah 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 Mm. yeah the other thing not to say is god but you look so well oh Mm. yeah yeah so i can only think of negative things that people have said rather than positive things i know that people have said some incredibly positive things Definitely complete strangers and family members and obviously close friends. But actually what I do find really inspiring and positive is meeting someone like you, Louise, who had breast cancer 20 years ago. And you are here and alive and well. And that, for me,
4: that is a really big deal, I have to say. It's true. It is helpful. Somebody in my book club actually had had a mastectomy twenty-five years before I got diagnosed. And um, that was that's the first thing you want to know. You yes. just you only really want to know about yeah. survival stories. Of you yeah. do. I yeah. mean, of course you do, but people do, it's extraordinary. You're right, they do say, you know, my grandmother died, or whatever. Yeah. You know, actually I oh, said it myself. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. They talk about hair a lot as well. Have to. Say again, hair. Yeah. <laughs> so I I knew right away that me I was too. probably gonna lose
2: that. my hair. Don't worry, it will grow back. My hair was halfway down my back. Mm-hmm. I've been growing it for years and years and years. And they were like, it will grow back, it will be fine. I don't need to hear that. I don't, I'm gutted, I'm devastated that I'm going to lose my hair and I'm not going to pretend to be otherwise.
1: So. But again, that was probably coming from a good place, wasn't it? Of course, yeah, yeah. It's look to the positive, always look to the positive. I always do this on each of the episodes as a finally to everybody who's part of the podcast. If there is somebody listening right now who is going through it, what would you say to them, Leah? You are
2: allowed to be miserable. Don't feel you have to put on that mask and make everybody else around you feel better when you're feeling at your lowest. Let them love and comfort you
0: rather than the other way around. Listen when your voice gets very critical and tells you you should be coping differently or better or you should be back to normal Mm -hmm. and bring in some kindness because i did some i've been doing some research some doctoral research with people with cancer and it's that self critical voice saying what you're not better by now mm-hmm. why aren't you emotionally strong having gone through it so be kind to yourself and speak to yourself as you would
4: to a friend you didn't do anything mm-hmm. to get this and you are lucky if you catch it soon enough and you are unlucky if you didn't and it's all about luck, and everything is about luck. It's the time you go to the doctor, everything, nothing you can do. You know, I think people say, oh, you think positive, you know, think yeah. positive sorry you can't mm-hmm. a friend of mine who's got another sort of cancer at the moment says you know everyone says fighting cancer she said i'm not fighting it the doctors are fighting it i'm just being here and living my life i don't know how to, i i'm not you know i'm not a doctor i don't know how to fight cancer so and i think that's the thing i think there's a lot of pressure on people to feel that it's their responsibility you know and everybody tends to say you'll be alright you'll get better mm-hmm. and you think, I mean, maybe, maybe, who knows? It's a lottery. But here today, that's the important thing. And if there's anything I got from having cancer, I used to be quite fearful, always planning, worrying, you know, making sure this didn't happen or that didn't happen, trying to plan for every awful eventuality. And then after I had cancer, I thought, well, it's absolutely pointless. So (laughs) I'm just going to do anything dangerous. In fact, I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have started writing. I wouldn't have done any of the things that I've subsequently done. Yeah because I would have thought I couldn't. And now I don't care. I could do anything except hang gliding or parachuting. <laughs> <laughs> Anything's to do with anything physical, pretty much. But, you know, yeah. that's it. That's what I would say. Great.
1: Inspiring Good words. Good luck. Um, Elizabeth, I'm going to give the final word to you, if I may. What would, what would you say from your experience of your grandma and from the work you've done with Estelle Order? Sorry, what would I say? Just general advice to women who are listening right now who might be going through it or might have a close friend who's going through it.
3: Well, I I think from all the women and the researchers I've spoken to, it, it seems to me that there is great... Um, it, most women seem to feel better when they can share an experience. And I feel when you know you're not alone and you can have somebody else who's been through it, who has been there with you. I think support groups, places like Future Dreams, where we are, where people can gather and just know that who they're talking to gets it. Mm. That to me, from the survivors and the people I've spoken to who are going through treatment, that would appear to be one of the strongest things Mm. that I've picked up from how I've been around this, that to know you're not alone would appear to give some comfort. And just a just relief, I think,
1: to share your experiences. So important. And that's why we do the podcast, actually. Yeah. So I want to thank you all so much, seriously, for being part of this conversation. Uh, Elizabeth, Louise, Sean, and Leanne. If you would like more information about breast cancer, then just look up the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity. You can contact me at any time on Instagram. I'm at Vic Derbyshire. And this podcast is a factory original and six foot six production. Thank you so much for being part of it and thank you so much for listening.
2: Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support and research. If you would like to help us do more, please text WeCare to 7500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text costs your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only. Always get the bill payers' permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care, no info. Thank you again for listening.